0: So this week I have back on my friend Clint Casper. So Clint resides out in the Midwest, out in Ohio, and he built his foundation of bow hunting skills around hunting these giant whitetails out there. And he started to be consistently successful with these mind-blowing bucks and and he wanted to take on these adventure hunts and so he started traveling out west and he just absolutely fell in love with it. And so he's really committed himself to building all these Western hunting skills so he can be consistently successful out West. Uh, The guy's commitment to Western hunting is is amazing. He comes out multiple times a year for scouting trips, multiple hunts. And when he's on these hunts, he's absolutely all in. Uh, I've seen Clint change a plane ticket, you know, spend $300 to change a plane ticket by one day. ...to get one more day's opportunity to try to harvest an animal. Uh, He also just puts in maximum effort when he is on a hunt with the days that he has. So he's got great insight into transitioning these skills from whitetail into western game. Uh, The guy's got so much uh, excitement and enthusiasm for western game, and he just soaks in information. Uh, So he's a great podcast guest. He's become a friend of mine... And I really enjoyed the conversation, and I think you guys will too. I wanna to thank my sponsor for today's show, Matthews Bows. Clint is also shooting Matthews and in love with them, just like I am. Uh, they're building absolutely amazing bows. Um, that that Verdix was such a good bow. Uh, I thought they were gonna have a hard time replacing that bow or building one better. And they came out with a VXR. The VXR was my favorite bow I ever owned. And now they have the V3. And they have outdone themselves again. This V3 is an absolute shooter. Uh, I just harvested my first big game animal with it, a really wide, heavy desert buck, and the V3 performed flawlessly. They build these bows to get the most performance out of everybody's draw length. So, me being a 26 and a half inch draw length, they have a cam designed for me to get the most performance out of it. Um, they also build a durable bow, uh, all these hunts I go on, I beat the heck out of these bows. Uh, I put them through the ringer. I mean, uh, we're climbing around mountains. We're hunting in the heat. We're hunting in the, the cold. I'm hunting during rain. I'm hunting during snow and, and all the time this bow holds up to it. And, and these bows, they're really easy to tune and they also hold a tune. Like, I can go out right now and shoot last year's bow, the VXR, and I know that thing will shoot an absolute bullet hole through paper because once I set that tune, it it just keeps in those bows. Uh, So they're absolutely amazing. I trust all my hunts to them, and I'm super impressed with this new V3. Uh, The thing holds on target so well, so forgiving, and um, just absolute maximum performance for me, a short-draw archer. So if you're in the market for a new bow, make sure to go check out those Matthews and at least shoot one. Uh, You'll notice the difference when you shoot them. They're just really well-designed bows. Uh, So thanks to Matthews for their support of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Over there at Eastman's, man, we've been busy. Um, Just catching up with everybody. I put out that podcast a couple weeks ago with Brandon Mason. Uh, I I always enjoy talking to him. Uh, And and everybody's just kind of finishing up their season. I just finished up my last hunt of the year, um, which is actually January. So the first hunt of 2021 or last hunt of the year, however you want to classify it. But what an awesome hunt down there. Venture hunt. Just had so much fun. Uh, Got some great podcasts coming up for you guys. Uh, We did that one with Marlin last week that went really well. And I got some great ones in the next few weeks that I'm really excited to release to you guys. Uh, also, make sure to check out our Beyond the Grid. Uh, I had that deer hunt that dropped. Um, it was an early season deer hunt, and um, you you can find that. It's called Open Country Bucks, and you can find it by searching Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube and um a really fun hunt to capture able to 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 capture one of my misses on that sticker buck that I told you guys about earlier in the season so you guys get to watch me miss that thing and then um and, and then you guys get to watch me redeem myself and make a perfect shot on the buck I I did end up harvesting Um, So it was really fun uh, getting better and better at capturing these hunts. The end of that last hunt was a solo filmed. uh, So that was pretty cool to put that together. The editors over at Eastman's did a great job um, and and told a good story. So if you haven't checked that out, make sure to go check that out on Eastman's Hunting TV out on YouTube. And um, man, Beyond the Grid has been dropping some great episodes. So be on the lookout for those. And with that... Let's get into this podcast. So um, my buddy, Clint Casper, I'm your host, Brian Barney. Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. I've got Clint Casper on the line. Uh, Clint is my buddy that um, resides in Ohio, so uh, Midwest, and travels out West every year. You had a heck of a season, Clint. Hey, my man. Glad to be
1: back on. Yeah, yeah. What's the... What's the saying? They say a a, a blind squirrel find a nut every now and again or something like that. That was that, that was me this year, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know, uh quite like a blind squirrel, you know, but uh yeah, we definitely capitalize on luck when we get it, you know. That's a big big component to it. So yeah, man, you had a great season. So like uh, Ohio Man, you grew up hunting whitetails and turkeys, and and then you really went all in with your bow and whitetails and committed yourself. And I've been out hunting with you in Ohio, and your whole house is full of sheds, giant whitetail that you've harvested over the years. And so you really honed your skills with whitetails, or that's where you paid a lot of your dues in the bow hunting world, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, You know, grew up grew up chasing them around and and wanted to extend my season and here we've only got like I grew up you know with um my dad and all his buddies and and a lot of them pretty much just primarily gun hunted so you had like one week to get it done and that just wasn't enough for me I started hunting deer when I was like nine ten years old and and you know real quick I just figured out like man seven days this this is this just isn't enough like what am I going to do you know for the under the other like you know 358 359 you know whatever um so for me I just thought I need to pick up a bow and that's going to extend my season cuz our season opens up it's always the last Saturday of September and goes clear into the first Sunday of February it never goes out so you're bow hunting for you know months if you want to and yeah that that really is what kind of changed the game for me is when I really got into bow hunting and that just opened up a whole new world of uh, turkeys and whitetails for me. It was so much fun to basically get my, my rear end kicked in because that's pretty much what happened the first couple of years. But I was learning so much as I was doing it and I just kept building off that and, and, and the fire just keep just kept getting a little more a little hotter, a little bigger, a little hotter, a little bigger, and it just got to the point where I was just so consumed with bow hunting that I'm like, man, this is this is what I wanna primarily focus on and then had some success started you know to to kill some bucks and and kill some some um some toms with my bow and kind of got into this okay now I'm going to target just mature bucks or a certain age class or you know whatever of deer and from there you know it it was a whole nother game that I had to kind of learn you know picking out a specific animal or or targeting a specific age class or whatever and that was really fun and then I kind of got to the point where I'm like man out west, I can start hunting August 1st. You know, instead of waiting till the end of September, I can be hunting stuff in August and early September. So back to the extending my season thing again, I thought I can hunt later. You can hunt spring, you know, it's got spring bears and you got all kinds of stuff in the spring I can go chase and then take a two-month hiatus and then it's time to hunt antelope. It's time to hunt mule deer. So you know, long story short, the Western stuff really intrigued me because of those early archery seasons and the late stuff. You know, it, it was just another excuse for me to continue to pick the bow up and continue to to go out and just chase what has always been my dreams of running all over the place with my bow in hand. So that's, that's kind of in a nutshell how it's all played out. Um, and yeah, can't say that I've regretted, uh, one second of any of it. That's for sure.
0: Oh man, like living an adventurous lifestyle and then um yeah, you start to get hooked like uh hooked on on bow hunting like you said and 7 days a year just isn't enough but that's that's the nice thing about bow seasons is that uh, you know once you start learning about it you realize that there's a season for uh, uh, dang near half the year or nine months you know once you once you kind of dial into these different states and what they offer and, and get into their opportunities yep. and get out west but yeah you're able to take all those whitetail skills. And and you just fell in love with bow hunting, but then able to transition that into Western hunting, which is totally different. And I know, you know, we've compared that before, but now you're able to be successful both on your whitetails from paying all your dues over the years and really being dialed on your process there. And in like the last five, six years, you know, since I've known you and maybe it's been a touch longer that you've been Western hunting, man, you've really been able to put together like a – uh, an impressive skill set just by dedicating yourself and learning and evolving and, and also making stakes, mistakes and coming up empty. Like like all of us bow hunters, you know, you have to pay your dues and it's not 100%. So, like, I, I'm just so impressed at, like, uh, your season you had this year on both bulls and mule deer and, and whitetail and, um, you know, that you harvested. But just how quick you've been able to transition those whitetail skills into Western hunting. Uh, so that – that transitional process, what do you think the key component to that is?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think if you're going to make the transition, you know, for me, it was just having an open mind and having kind of an open book with a blank canvas. And what I mean by that is I wanted to go into this and take notes on everything and learn as I went. And I felt like I knew diving into this it was going to be like anybody else diving into something they've never done. Um, yeah, you've got an idea. Yeah, you can read. You can listen to podcasts. I mean, there's a ton of things nowadays with technology and the way the world is that can help a guy. You got Onyx. You got Go Hunt. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got the the MRS. You know, in Eastman's Bowhunting Journal. I mean, you've got all these things to help a guy. But realistically, until you just go out and dive in and start doing it. And, and jump into the, the deep end of the pool. Basically, you're you're kind of at a standstill. So my you know my whole philosophy was just try to learn and enjoy the process and have fun while doing it. Because if you're having fun, you're going to continue to keep coming back. And that was my whole mindset was learn. Um, you're going to fail, but as you fail, figure out why you failed, how to fix it, and just know that's part of the process. I mean, my whole my mindset was I want to be good at this um, and be proficient at it 10, 12 years down the road. So to get to that point, you've got to build blocks and you've got to work your way up to that. Like the goal for me wasn't, okay, I'm going to do this for one year, travel around, do some solo hunts, hunt with a few buddies. And then by year two, I should be like the greatest Western bow hunter, you know, east of the Mississippi that's ever lived. I mean, not like, you know, like that, that was like totally the polar opposite of what i was thinking you know I, I just wanted to be every year i wanted to learn some more and and gain some more and just continue to build mainly confidence in my skills and confidence in my setup and just confidence mentally in what i was doing and that's kind of where it all started was i just like i said I, I i wanted to have a blank canvas with you know something that i could start from scratch and just start making notes on and figuring it out as I went. And I think that was my biggest, you know, key component to that is just the the persistence of continuing to, hey, when something bad happened, I'd figure it out and I'd try to fix it or figure out how to correct it or not let that happen again. And, you know, whether that was camping in the wrong spot, getting caught in lightning on a ridge line like I've done or failing a stock on an antelope buck because I moved it the wrong, I mean, you know, whatever the case was, I wanted to constantly learn and try to not make the same mistakes twice or limit how many times that was going to happen. So it's a big learning curve, but I think going into it, I knew it was a big learning curve and I knew there was going to be a ton of challenges. But for me, that's what adventure bow hunting is. I, I love the excitement, the unknown. You don't, you know, I'm coming from Ohio driving 26 hours by myself to hunt Colorado or 32 hours to get out to your place to go chase the antelope with you or spring bears or whatever. I mean, it's adventure from start to finish the unknown. You just, you don't know anything. I mean, it's it's a total, you're walking in the dark per se to places you've never been. And you're going to go hunt this stuff for a week or 10 days or two weeks or however long. And, you know, it was, that's just a fire that started and it has just grown and grown and grown and grown. It's like, oh man, like I just, I just can't get enough of it. So for me though, that, that just open mind, as far as the mindset, just, just having an open mind and really focusing on getting better each hunt getting better each year and just slowly building the blocks up and kind of working my way up the ladder. That, that's that been the key for me is just to stay persistent and and never lose sight of the end goal of, okay, you know, it might take me who knows how long, but sooner or later I'm going to gain confidence and I'm going to get to the point where I feel like I'm walking around and I'm confident in what I'm doing out here. And that, that was the end goal was to just to get to that confidence level of, okay, you know, I got this, I've, I've been doing it long enough, I've I've figured it out, I've got confidence walking around here, like, I know sooner or later I'm going to get my opportunity, and that's that's what I've been working towards, is just having that confidence always, um, I just think that's so key and so crucial, and, and guys like you that are, you know, getting it done every single year on multiple public land animals with your boat, you you know, you guys all have that one main component that is the center of, of, of all of you guys, um, and, and it's that confidence. I mean, you know, y- you're not walking around hoping if you get your bow pulled back, you're going to make a shot. No, Brian Barney knows if you let me get my limbs bent, man, stuff's dying. And it's like that, you know, if you let me, if you put yourself in a spot that's stalkable, oh, man, you're in trouble. I'm going to make it happen. And that's that's that fourth quarter mentality. That's that confidence that you got to have that makes the world go round. And I mean, in the bow hunting world, especially the Western stuff, I just feel like that confident guy is so deadly. So that was like the end goal for me. It's just, man, I, I want to get confident in, in what I'm doing, where I'm camping stocks, my shot process, my equipment, my gear. I just wanted to have total confidence in all of that. And I felt like at that point then, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really get I you know, you're, you're really kind of getting somewhere.
0: Yeah, I like that, that approach of being like a student of the game, you know, Uh, you said an open canvas or a blank canvas, you know, that just a student of the game and ready to come in and learn. And I think like like this is just me projecting on you, but I think you were able to learn all these base skills of, of figuring out. White tails and being able to make those shots under clutch like and I know even with those white tails, it's not like they're running around everywhere like you got to make it count when you get your opportunity on those things. So you were able to learn that lesson you were able to learn. You know, this persistence, you know, because I've I've seen you spend 60, 70 days in a stand, which, gosh, you'd dang near run yourself insane trying to do that, you know, (laughs) but just trying to chase those whitetails and catch up to them. And I know, like, you're dedicated. You make those all-day sits, which, you know – say that sitting in a tree stand all day, it doesn't sound that tough when we're on a podcast or I'm comfortable in my house, but dude, I've done it with you for seven days. I I damn near did lose my mind. Like, um, (laughs) it's so cold up there. You just don't move. You have to sit still. And in, in Ohio, like there, there's a lot of white tails there, but they're spread out throughout the landscape. And so Mm -hmm. they're not condensed in there where you see 30 deer walk by your stand. There was a couple days where, you know, I I maybe saw a deer or two you know and then a few days where what? I'd see 7 or I'd see 9 like like that is tough and grueling mentally and and so I think you were able to like take all these base skills and then plug it into Western hunting just because you like bow hunting so much and take all those mindsets and those skills so you weren't starting at zero even though you'd never hunted out West. You know, you were you were starting pretty high on the scale of proficiency. And, and two, you've always worked on your shooting and your bows and your tuning and so you, you know your bows are going to shoot. So – and then I like like how you, how you transitioned like what you were talking about into walking around with confidence and understanding everything. And so – It was like you wanted to understand the whole process of everything, like how to glass, how to roll country, how to can't, have like all those skill sets that you were trying to build, you know, so, so you could walk uh, uh, around with confidence because like we we walk around with confidence, but sometimes the answers aren't black and white. Like they're pretty gray areas whether or not you're gonna stalk this buck or where you're gonna camp. And especially when you're hunting solo like that, like you have to make all those decisions. And when you don't have much experience making those decisions, it's tough to know what the right move is. And so, like I think um, you, you've also been able to gain that Western experience by. You know, not just one trip a year, but man, you are all in. It's like every opportunity you have, you're taking every vacation day, hour of PTO and even time off to get out here out West to get that crucial experience. And you've came up short, like like you're the hero last season and this season killing some really nice bucks and bulls, but you know, I know just like me, like you've come up short before on those hunts because it is so difficult and there is a learning curve, but I'm just so impressed by how quick that you've learned all these things. But, but do you feel that way that you've been able to transition those skills right into Western hunting to be able to learn faster or shorten that learning curve?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, I think you're spot on. I mean, I think just the mental aspect of, Being able to grind out, hunting one specific whitetail, you know, I mean, I I can just – one specific buck comes to mind. I hunted 93 days to get him killed, killed him in in January. Well, that was the year that you were out with me, that that big – giant six point that big three by three that's twenty four inches on the inside with the you know the giant Oh round. I almost and had him
0: Clint you don't gotta remind yeah, I me say, I saw that yeah, buck a couple yeah, times. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You were you I, were I right almost climbed out of the tree him. stand and tried to make something yeah. happen on him. <laughs> you told me yeah, I should have yeah. at the time. But uh um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I remember that was a great buck and man you grinded that season. You're right, like carrying those mental skills in. So, yeah. so talk yeah. about that. Like I think that's a huge part of your success and a huge part of my success. And you hear these professional athletes, like how much of it's mental and we're all given what we're given genetically. And then we build our skill sets, but so much of it comes down to the mind, doesn't it? Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, I think bow hunting, I think shooting a bow and bow hunting in general is, is all, you know, it's gotta be close to, or right at 99% mental. Cause you know, I mean, in my opinion, um, I'll take the guy who is mentally tough, but a little out of shape all day over the guy who has six pack, can run a marathon, but mentally will give up when something goes wrong or something unexpected happens or a curveball gets thrown. Because, you know, I'll tell you right now, um, well, I don't care whether you're hunting a, a whitetail in Ohio or you're bow hunting chasing bulls in Montana in September it's not going to be a cakewalk and you, yeah, you might have a year where, where, Hey, you just have a, a giant up here and you kill him on the day one and that's the end. But if you're going to consistently bow hunt, it, it's not going to be cakewalks like that. And you're going to have to grind. I mean, in the metal game, um, especially on some of these hunts where it's seven days, eight days, nine days, 10 days, and you're, you're living out of your truck or you're living off your back or you're, you know, you're moving camp and, uh, maybe you're solo, um, whatever the case may be, it is a grind. And each day, your body level, as far as just, you know, how charged you are, is going down. I mean, you're, you're wearing yourself down. You're probably not getting enough sleep. You're probably not eating enough calories every day. So you're slowly, physically wearing down. But that's where the mental edge, in my opinion, comes in. Because if a guy can mentally keep himself motivated and mentally keep himself in the game – Even if he slows down a step or two, but if he stays mentally in it and he's hungry and he wants and just has the will to win, there's no give up, absolutely there's no quit, that guy is going to get way more opportunities than the guy who starts to mentally fade. I don't care how good physically in shape you are. I mean, it's great to have both, but my point is, is I just feel like that mental aspect is the most crucial component in my opinion to uh success on any type of bow hunting but especially the western stuff and and the whitetail stuff physically it is not a grind you know i might walk a couple hundred yards climb in a tree i'm gonna sit there that that the physical you know aspect is not bad but the mental aspect of every single day or five days a week six days a week multiple all day sits of constantly playing the cat and mouse, racking your brain, constantly sitting there. Should I be here today? Should I not be here? Oh, I should have went to the other farm. I should have done this. My trail camera shows he hasn't been on here in five days. This is dumb. Why am I sitting here? I mean, you've got a hundred different things that could pull you away mentally from your game plan. But that's one thing I've learned is When I come up with a plan, I'm going to stick with it, and I'm going to believe in it, and I will not let myself stray from it because the second you start to stray away, you're mentally starting to fold a little bit, and that is when bad things take place. And I don't care if it's a whitetail, mule deer, elk, antelope. The second you start to mentally let yourself slip, that's when your opportunity comes, and you're not prepared. You're not ready for it, and it's happened to me before, and and I just – I don't ever want to have that – take place if i can limit that and take that out of the equation i just feel like i'm so much more proficient and confident in what i'm doing and you know you brought up a good point professional athletes um i was i feel like i was one of the you know the 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 biggest michael jordan fans that's ever ever been um because i loved the the just the killer instinct that he had he would do whatever it took to win, I, it does It didn't matter what he had to do. It, if it came down to you, have to do this, Michael. There was no question. There was no. There wasn't an ounce of doubt. And I'm, I'm sure you probably watched The Last Dance because I I know you well enough, and that kind of stuff intrigues you, and you love to see the best of the best doing what they love to do. So I, I'm going to go off on the limb and say you probably watched it this spring.
0: Absolutely.
1: Oh yeah, that documentary. I I, I got goosebumps i don't know how many times because you you would hear players talk about him and just that will and the drive and the just the killer alpha instinct that he had to to lead everybody to make the right moves and to just constantly find a way to grind i mean i i can remember watching the game where he has the flu um He's throwing up on the sides. I mean, he, he's, he looks, I mean, just looks awful. Scores 45 points, hits seven or eight threes, shuts down, you know, one of the best guards in the game. And he's literally, he has the flu. Now, prime example of a guy who takes the bull by the horns and says, okay, I know I'm in a rough spot. This is a clutch game. Come on, we got to strap up, and I gotta, I gotta make it happen. I mean that, that that is just, it's unbelievable that he was able to still perform at a level like that because physically he was not a hundred percent, but the mental edge drove him to success that night because mentally he was not gonna be beaten. That team was not gonna beat the Chicago Bulls that night. And see, I, I just that's the kind of stuff that I look at when it's a hunt gets tough or. I'm I'm, I'm failing at at getting something accomplished it's that grind of the mental side you you've just you've got to trust in the process and you got to believe in yourself and have that 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 mental edge to keep to push through I mean I just think that is so important in bow hunting in life and whatever you want to do that edge mentally is what I think separates the guys that get it done versus the guys that don't get it done
0: yeah you spot on Yeah, it is that, that drive and that, uh, um, you you know, for, for Jordan, it was that competitive edge, you know, maybe uh, for everybody, it can be a little bit different, but you're right. Just that no quit, uh, going to do whatever it takes attitude. Yeah, man. I mean,
1: that's, that's totally it
0: uh, is that, that mental side of things, man. I just, um, yeah, I, I think you're spot on like, like, uh, David, uh, Goggin says um oh, he animal. I I love that guy. He just did this swamp huh. run in Florida with this guy yeah. that uh yeah. came up short on a 200 miler and he made him strap on his shoes and went out and ran it after Thanksgiving or whatever. But he's just got um he says that we uh uh we we only put out 40% of what we're capable of that we're yep. capable of yep. another 60% i don't quite know the odds of the statistics i just like that guy and what he preaches yep. but he's so right the body does what the mind tells it and 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 yep. i have done some amazing things that if I sat down and thought about it, you know, I don't even know if it'd be possible to do those kind of miles or pack a buck out of this spot or uh, day after day. And that's what it takes because it's so extremely difficult that you get out there and you get punched in the face. And even the best of us, even yep. even me that scouts these tags and the numbers and the mountain ranges and, and I have spots that I've developed for 10, 15, 20 years that, you know, I'll go back to or explore further man I still get on those hunts and get punched in the face where where animals yep. aren't where they're supposed to be or you know there's there's a lot of hunting pressure in there this year or you know there's a million reasons to quit, but you just got to have that attitude that you're gonna keep putting forth effort and give it your all and I, a good positive attitude goes so far and I notice that when you're on these western hunts, that, that you don't take any expectations with you either. You don't seem to get too down about things. You don't come in, you know, like even hunting western bears spotting stock is so difficult. And you can go a week and not even see a bear. But you show up with a good attitude. You're ready to go hunt and put on a bunch of miles and elevations. You're willing to do whatever it takes and put forth the effort. But you also don't get discouraged, you know it seems like you hunt as hard on day seven as you do day one, even if we hadn't seen a bear in six days now, most of the time we get into them pretty good and get some good stocks right. but oh, but yeah. just making yeah. a point that like you keep a really good positive attitude and i I think I do that as well on these hunts, and you just have to be willing to like you have to go into it and I also we were talking about quotes before the podcast and how I screw everyone up. But I've got another one I'm gonna screw up for you uh, uh so i i uh uh heard this climber uh, and he said uh it's not an adventure until things start going wrong, and he's so right yeah. like it's on all yeah. these things there's always gonna be things go wrong there's it's it's like every hunt like you say you might have one that goes smooth or one that you go back to a spot and you go get into critters and i I definitely had some absolutely insanely good hunts this year, as I know you did too. But I had to grind and work to create those. It it didn't just come. It was always, oh, they're not here, but I'm going to go check this spot. And I, I think on that mental side, you know, you strengthen your mind every chance you have. But I, I think it's good to, like, build these systems into your mind before you go into the hunt that – You know, this is what I'm going to do if I get this challenge. This is where I'm going to go if this spot doesn't work out. You know, having a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, because once you get out there and get punched in the face and you've been hunting for three, four days, it's tough to come up with another battle plan from scratch. But if if you've sat at your home and studied these maps and studied these different places, it just seems like it's easier when the decision's already made. Like I already have a backup plan. Okay. They're not here. I'm going to the next spot and just always having this next move to make. Uh, But, but dude, you're spot on Uh, the mental side of things and, and uh, being clutch and, and crossing hurdles and preparing yourself for that. Like, like uh, to me, I think it's the most important thing as well.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, you know, you're spot on and, and, you know, I've been fortunate to hunt with, you know, guys that I consider the, the absolute, you know, the the top of the, (laughs) top of the food chain in the game. I mean, you, um, you know, Dan, our, our good buddy, Dan, I mean, when I started going on hunts with you guys, I mean, I just, I learned so quick that the, the common trait there, you know, you both have skill sets that, you know you've got stuff that that you're just super profound at that's a different skill set than say they dan is you know one might be a little better at glass and one's maybe better at can hike faster or longer or more proficient whatever but both of you have that fourth quarter mentality all the time every stock you guys go on every glassing session you're in every time it's time to go change camps it is 110 percent. you are in it to win it it's the fourth quarter. It's the last down. It's the last play. Like, it, I don't care if it's day one or day 14. There's never a moment where it's not the fourth quarter mentality. And you guys are, you know, if it's a glassing session on day one, you would swear that is the last glassing session of your guys' life. You're going to put every ounce into that moment right now. If it's the stock on day nine or the stock on day four, it doesn't matter. Both, both – occurrences are going to be you guys are going to put that stock on and you're going to go into it like it is the last stock you're ever going to make in your life and i picked up on that you know very very quick um and that's something that all of the guys that are getting it done consistently they have that trait that's a common theme they're you know you guys are positive are there moments where we all get frustrated we all get a little down yeah you might i mean there's times where I get mad and I need to take five, and I need to just just, just cuss, swear, kick the dirt, throw my bow down, whatever, and, and give myself a moment, but then it's time to recollect, it's time to refocus, and we're back in the game. I mean, and that's the thing is you, you just can't let a failed stock or some type of failure throw you out of the loop, and um, you were talking about quotes and about you know getting punched in the face, and I, I don't know where I, where I read this. But it really stuck with me because it's kind of the truth. You know, everybody talks about, oh man, you know, we want to be, man, you know, you 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 want to do badass stuff or or be a badass. And and I read this quote, I forget the guy, um, but he said, yeah, everybody wants to be a badass and do badass stuff until they get punched in the face, and then it's not so much fun to put on the badass cape anymore. And, you know, you think about that, and it's like, yeah, you know, everybody wants to kind of be like, oh, man, you know, I'm going to do this. It's going to be super cool. But what's it going to take to get to that super cool moment? You know, how many times are you going to have to endure getting punched right in the mouth? And are you going to be able to do that? Can you handle that? Are, are you able to, you know, when when the crap hits the fan, are you going to be able to push through that to get to the, the moment that you're on top of the mountain and everything's great again and, and you know, just just kind of – building off what you said, I mean, I, I think that's just super important in any aspect of, of hunting, bow hunting, you know, Western hunting, whitetail hunting, whatever you want to do. Um, those common traits amongst guys, you know, I, I've, I've just picked it up over the years and, and hunting with you guys, you know, it was just so evident that you guys are successful because you walk around constantly believing in yourself, you guys are as mentally tough as they possibly can build a guy, and it—that that is what gets you through a tough moments, and that's what gets you to the fun, awesome moments when you're sitting behind a big buck or a big bull and you're getting pictures taken. Like, that all takes place prior to that, that mental edge, that no quit, that confidence, that all builds in to getting to that moment that we're all dreaming about. And, you know, it's, it's something that I don't think everyone is born – like with that like some people have to really really gain confidence in themselves other people maybe they're more confident right off the rip but we've all got a different level to build that but the the end goal has to be that that fourth quarter mentality that 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 confidence that mental edge of I'm not going to fail I'm not going to let myself lose that really drives guys to success and I think that's where punching tags and not punching tags, I, I really think that's kind of the key component and that's the difference maker, especially on some of these grueling hunts. I mean, you know, I, I talked to you all throughout the fall. I mean, I know how, how many days some of these hunts are and, and, and how grueling and how many trips you're making from your place to, to Idaho or your place to Wyoming or whatever the case may be. I mean, it's mentally, it's just a toll. It's physically, it's a toll, but, you stay in the game and you continue and finally you get that opportunity. And then it's time to make the most of that opportunity. And it's that final 10 seconds that we all live for from the moment of getting the final range to getting back to full draw to starting on your shot sequence, the shot breaks and you watch your arrow just absolutely crush whatever you're shooting at. I mean, that's, that's what we all live for, but it takes so much to get to that, you know, window, but, yeah, no, you're spot on, man. I mean, it really is. It's it's that that confidence and that mental game. You just have to have it. I mean, and and I like I said, I I firsthand got to witness that with you guys, and it was awesome to be able to take that away from those hunts and and really see it in life, see it in person. I mean, you know, there's never a, a moment where you guys aren't believing in yourselves and each other as partners. I mean, y- you two are as confident. As a duo can possibly get. I mean, I would not want to be the animal on the opposing end. And you guys are like, hey, we want to wrap, we want to wrap a tag around that guy. Like, I I would never want to be that animal or that, you know, that, that would, that'd be a very scary place to be with, with Brian and Dan, you know, on your, on your backside. That's for sure.
0: Well, thanks. Yeah, that's so nice. I'm the same way. I see those common traits in successful hunters, and they're real similar. And yeah, you're right. You hang out with other successful guys, and and it you you can just see it. And and you know you 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 become who you hang out with too. You know, it's like when those are your influences. You know, that's what you become. But yeah, you you know you you've mentioned confidence quite a few times, and I think you're so right. Belief in yourself. and and belief in what you're doing. You know, you talked about, you know, going out to a vantage point or like just being that optimist of believing it's going to come together, believing you're going to create an opportunity. And and you talked about it earlier, like, um, you know, sticking to your plan, like, like when you go make a whitetail sit or, you know, you go hike into a vantage point. Like, I think, I think it's going to be the best hunting from that vantage point that day. I think I'm going to find a big buck. And even when the lights come on and I don't see any deer, I think I'm going to find a buck hiking up this ridge. And even when I don't have a – find, of, even if I don't find one there, then I think I'm going to keep going down this ridge a few miles. There's some good north side timber. I'm going to – I bet you there's a buck laying in there. So then I'm traveling there. I'm moving, and I'm just constantly believing in my next move that that's going to be the move that's going to you know get me that opportunity. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you make a really good point there. And, and then also – you know, the the mental side really comes to play, like holding it together. It, it's tough when it means so much to us to make that shot, to execute, to close in the end, you know, to be clutch. Like, uh, yep. I, you know, I want that more than anything, and you want that more than anything. And it's easy to sit here and say, well, I shot every single day at least 50 arrows. I can make any shot out there but it's a different story when that big 200-inch buck is sitting out there broadside or you know that big 350 bull is standing there giving you a shot window and it doesn't always happen perfect they're not always sitting at 20 yards looking away from you waiting for an arrow like um you know yep. you're working and breathing hard and climbing mountains and then you know those those moves you said like in the last 10 seconds or the last 100 yards you, you know just trying to close yep. in and make those right moves like like it takes uh, this, this mental calmness. And, you know, you said some guys have it and some guys don't. I think it's easier learned by some guys and tougher learned by yeah. other guys. But yeah. I believe it's obtainable for everyone. You know, it's yeah. just like yep. getting a hold of yourself and going, hey, I'm not going to move too quick. I'm not going to screw this up. I'm not going to yep. force a bad arrow in an angle that I don't want. Like I I start to learn this calm and this patience about it that I start trusting in my skills and trusting in you know, these deer can't see me if I don't move, or these elk can't see me if I'm over this ridge. And so I like know what I can get away with and what I can't. And it it's like a, I, I, uh, I just kind of let it happen and, and and wait for that opportunity to close on it. And you have to have that killer instinct too or that killer switch. Like, you know, I've seen guys too that are timid before, and you've got to know when it's your all-in moment. But I, I think that's such a huge part of the mental side too It's not only creating those opportunities, being able to grind and go day in, day out, but, you know, our our money's made in our business of bow hunting by making shots, you know, and making shots under an intense amount of pressure and – Dude, I think you can attest to this better than anybody. Western shots are different than whitetail shots. Spot and stock shots are different than in the blind or in the stand, and not that those aren't tough shots to make with an immense amount of pressure, but these western shots seem to come at longer ranges. They seem to come off uneven terrain. Uh, The game animals can jump your strength. There's so many factors into it. Whitetails can too. I know there's a bunch of comparisons there, but I just think those western shots – when you're spot and stock hunting, man, it's tough yep. to get proficient at those. Like they're a high degree of difficulty.
1: Yep, absolutely. And you know, I think a lot of guys, I get asked, um, I get asked the question, you know, how many arrows do you shoot? And I always, and I tell people, you know, they'll say, how many arrows do you shoot in a year? Oh, millions. And they laugh, and I'm like, no, seriously. It's not just shooting physically outside. In my mind, and, and this is something that I picked up. I've, I've got to be good buddies with, with Levi Morgan over the years, and this is something that I've, that that me and him have talked about numerous times. Um, you know, he lives over in Pennsylvania, so he's not too far from me. And uh, he's like, I shoot millions and millions of arrows in my mind at every animal I'm going to hunt. Different different scenarios, different to where it's almost like when you're in the moment, you've already been here you've already made a shot you've already experienced it and I think that's something that a lot of people don't prepare for or they don't know how to actually um, like put themselves in the moment I mean I could be at work on lunch break and I might shoot a hundred arrows while I'm sitting there for that 30 minutes because in my mind I'm playing these scenarios on I'm on my knees and it's a bedded bucket fifty. I'm running out a ridge line trying to cut off a herd of elk. Oh my gosh, I got to make this shot. He's at 70 yards ripping a bugle. Now's my chance. I gotta, I gotta get myself together after I just ran for half a mile. Uh, I'm in a stand and it's cold. It's nine degrees. This whitetail shows up. It's 47 yards. I gotta thread the needle through a volleyball sized hole. I shoot the amount of arrows in my head that I shoot that I'm. I'm I'm putting myself mentally in the moment. I'm preparing mentally for this stuff. Millions, millions of arrows, you know. And, yeah, of course you've got to shoot your bow. And, and you should know your gear inside and out. But I think sitting there actually putting yourself in the moment without even actually shooting your bow, but in your mind you're preparing to do that. And then you are releasing an arrow. I mean I can't tell you how many times I wake up from dreams about running arrows through animals and it's like people ask me you know is this all besides your two kids is this like all you realistically you know think about and live for and I mean yeah kind of in a way I mean yeah you know like it's it's yeah I mean I am constantly thinking about a stock a play this that the shot you know uh it's this far it's that far here's the angle here's the scenario and then when you get in those moments I almost feel like I'm more calm because I've replayed this situation in my head 6,000 times. This buck's at 50. He's bedded. I'm above him. The thermals are in my face. It's 1 o'clock. Everything's good. When he stands up, this deer's dead. I've already replayed this. I've already shot this arrow 1,000 times in the last week. In my mind, I know what I'm going to do, and here's the plan. And, you know, and for me, I just I think that's another big thing with this whole deal is just, you know, visually seeing success before you're ever actually in the moment where you're going to physically shoot an arrow. And, I'm, and I and I know you, you're such a mental guy, Um, you know, you are you are very in tune to, to your mental game. I know you're sitting around doing this exact same thing that Levi and I talk about all the time is that mental side of of shooting arrows without actually physically being there shooting arrows. I I know you're sitting there doing that when you're sipping your coffee in the morning. I I I I know you wake up every morning and I've been there with you at your house. You're drinking that coffee and once the girls are gone and they go to school and you've got 10 minutes to yourself and that's and and you're just there. I know you. You're you're replaying these shots and you're shooting I mean, you know, you're you're wired the same. I I know you're doing the same thing.
0: Yeah, that's um that's wild. You know, I don't know I don't know if I'm doing it as much as you do it. Those visualizations that you talk about, but I do think it's a super important piece to the puzzle. Like I like what you're saying and I, I do as it gets closer to season, as it gets closer to season, I start visualizing and I, I do what you're talking about, but it seems like I can only run, you know, I only run a scenario or two a night, like before I go to bed or something, but I, I like what you're saying, Clint. So like, um, um, walk me through your visualization process. Like what would be like a typical visualization? Do you shut your eyes almost like a meditation and walk yourself through, you know, the, the range and the shot? Like, what are you thinking about when you're visualizing this?
1: Yeah, I, I think it. you know, a lot of the times, I mean, it might be during the day and I've just got a minute or two break where I, I shut, I shut a machine down, you know, and in my head, I'm thinking about, okay it's it's june 1st uh my first hunt this year is going to be an antelope hunt you know in my head i'm thinking okay you've got into 100 yards you got to close the distance you want to get to 60 you've already ranged this bush you're trying to get there okay here's the steps you know you you're we're checking the wind, we're keeping an eye on the buck. We're we're glassing, we're scanning to make sure there's no other you know, there's no other antelope with him. Okay, that's good. Okay. Now we're going to slowly make our moves, our first steps to get to that tree. Now we're going to get over to this, you know, we're going to get from point A to point B to point C to point D to finally get to that bush. That's at point E and at, and that now it's time just to get ourselves calm down for a few seconds and and I'm going to visually watch myself Get myself calm. I'm gonna click my ranges and make sure I've got everything. I'm gonna adjust my slider sight. I'm gonna get it down to the exact yardage. I'm gonna get in position. Now I'm ready. Okay. I'm waiting on this buck to stand. Up here we go. Ten minutes later, he's standing up. He's gonna stretch. He looks away. Now's my time. I'm gonna come back to full draw. We're gonna pick our spot, and I'm gonna start pushing and pulling the bow apart till the shot breaks, and I'm gonna watch my arrow bury exactly on top of that hair that I had by Pinland, And, and for me, I just, I, I really think constantly playing these little scenarios and it might take me two minutes to go through this, but it just, it, it, it you know, from being in Ohio, I don't get all the opportunities that like you're going to get out there cause you live it. So I try to put myself there as much as I possibly can to where, when I'm in that moment, I can be just more calm And it almost feels like I've already done it. I've already been there. Okay, you know the steps. You've replayed the steps. Like, here's what you've got to do. You know what you've got to do. It's almost like a calming effect for me because I feel like I've already done it. So that confidence is just there. And, I mean, you know, I've heard Levi talk about it before with, um, like, you know, shooting, obviously, you know, with the high intense pressure on 3D that he's shooting, you know. You're, you, you just have to visualize, you know, trusting in your yardage and making these shots. And there's so much of that just thinking about, okay, I'm in this moment. I've already been here. There's so much high pressure, but I know that. I already know that. I'm going to calm myself and we're going to make it happen. And I think in a bow hunting scenario where you might work for seven, eight days to get one opportunity, every little advantage you can put in your bag of tricks you need to have. And for me, one advantage to making shots and making them count has been I'm, I'm able to really stay calm and kind of collect myself. And I really lean on the visual side of how much I actually shoot arrows just mentally in my mind. I mean, not even physically, but just mentally putting myself in that moment, I feel like helps me when I'm actually there in the present moment. Like I've already done it, and I'm, I'm just more calm than I would be if I had not already sort of put myself there a thousand times leading up to this hunt
0: yeah i like that i think i think you're right clint like um i I know it's been hugely beneficial for me too doing those like like those nightly uh visualizations where i'll close my eyes and i'll come up with scenarios i haven't gone through the stock or the moves like more of mine is the shot process and then you know also when you're practicing with your bows you you don't get to close your eyes and and visualize right. you shooting in and out because your eyes have to be open you have to focus on your shot putting it in there, um, but I I think I do that as well like um with with a, just a, a rope that I build that's at my draw length and yep. so you know I, yep. I I build they sell some now with like bow handles on them but I mean basically mine's just like some cordage that's that's tied around tied in a loop it goes in my thumb like it's a bow and then I hook my release to it. And and I, 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 I visualize drawing back and then I can close my eyes and find my anchor. And then I can almost visualize that pin sitting on an animal and pulling on that shot. And and I think the other place where I do that, like I, I really seem to do it. Like I do it on my hunts and I think about my shot before it happens. And I think about the most important step. And so as I'm walking around the woods, you know, I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know let let the pin settle and pull squeeze on the trigger you know or uh, 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 or squeeze my back or you know squeeze the pull push and pull on that deal so i'm like I'm like yep. thinking you know I'll have these sayings like pull, 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 and I'll say that you know a hundred times throughout a hunt, and I'll just stop yep. whether I'm on a stock or whether I'm glassing. And pull, 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 and I think about like settling my release on that critter and pulling that shot until it breaks. And where I really notice a difference is like after I fail or after I miss, like something happens, Mm -hmm. I miss an animal for whatever reason, but it's like I chase this redemption so hard that – once I miss an animal like oh my god I'm so driven for this redemption you know I want to get it right and I know I can get it right and and like I I almost get you know like the uh, uh, I, I I get like this narrow focus and then I'm constantly thinking about that thing I did wrong or the thing that I you know I'm not replaying the thing I did wrong over and over like I don't think that's the right move but I'm I'm constantly thinking when I get this shot, I am gonna pull on this trigger. When I get this shot, I'm gonna make sure that pin aims. Or, you know, I'm gonna pay attention to these details. And um it it doesn't you know, I there hasn't been too many times out there where I've missed two animals in a row, I don't think ever. Like uh, I shoot so much better after a miss because I'm so hyper focused on executing that shot. So the the deal, the transition is is if I can start to do that without a miss, you know, which I, which yeah. I'm constantly yeah. working on. But yeah, I think you're right, man. Like those visualizations can be a powerful tool if used and used correctly. And, and, and you're right. Like you talk about that fourth quarter mentality and, and there's, there's something to that. You got to want the ball at the end of the game. You got to want the pressure oh, yeah. on you. You got to want to get yep. that bow shot. You, you got to want it so bad that, that, that you'll, You're able to push and create this opportunity, you know, and so like you got to want the ball in the end. You got to want to try to make a shot. And and when you're looking for that opportunity and you want it, you know, it, it just seems like like that's that fourth quarter mentality that you're talking about is wanting the ball at the game at the end of the game to win it. And 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 not fearing missing that shot, just knowing that you can make it, knowing that you have the practice in there. And more times than not, it seems like that shot falls, or seems like that arrow finds its mark. You know, it's it is such a powerful tool to walk around with that confidence, wanting the ball at the end of the game, and, and also wanting to create that shot at the end of the game. You know, and so like you you mentioned it earlier, the how it feels to to arrow a trophy critter like that. And and once you climb to the top of the mountain, it's like all you want to do is get back there. And once you know the payoff and what that feels like, it, it seems like then it's just embracing that process and the challenge. It doesn't matter how many miles or how many mountains or how many times I'm going to have to move my truck or fill up my truck or you know whatever the case is. It doesn't matter. It's like you're just going to put forth that effort because I know what that payoff feels like, and I know what it feels like to – you know, to leave it all out on the court. I know we're using a lot of basketball and football references, but I I, I just think it it's like such a great comparison to it because you do have to, you, you have to perform under an intense amount of pressure. And it's tough to perform well under an intense amount of pressure. Like the, the common human trait is, is to get buck fever, to mess up the situation, yep. you know, that yep. to, to miss the shot at the end or like, um, you know, you see these like even a game of horse, like you get towards the end and people get pressure on them and they miss more shots than they make. They actually shoot worse than they than they do, you know, normally because they've got this extra pressure on them. And so there's a weight to that pressure, but you start to get good at handling it and wanting that pressure. And, it, you know, I, I want to. I want all the pressure on me at the end, you know? I I want the pressure to try to fill my tag with one opportunity on a trophy buck, you know? Like a that's that's what I'm looking for and I I think that's what you're talking about when you talk that fourth quarter mentality so much like you've mentioned in this conversation. So like th- like that's it, isn't it? It's just like wanting wanting that shot at the end. And man, it just seems like more times than not. I mean, we know that we can make that shot and it comes back to that confidence, but it seems like more times than not, you know, you're able to make good shots under an intense amount of pressure, but that's the secret to this game.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, just, you talked about, um, you know, wanting it so bad, just, just act absolutely craving that moment of being able to, to bend the limbs back and, and know that your opportunity's there, um, you know, that, that's just, that's everything, you know, to guys like us. I mean, that that's the goal. That's what you're working towards. I mean, you're, you're working towards getting your bow pulled back, you know, you're bending the limbs back and, and getting ready to execute, hopefully a perfect shot. And this year, um, My season starts in in Colorado, and they got that huge, crazy snowstorm. Just you know, it was ninety degrees when I get there. And long story short, um, get all this crazy amount of cold weather and snow. They're closing roads. I mean, I basically had to like evacuate my unit. Um, You know, it was basically going to be either I get trapped in if I don't get out, and they close gates and they start blocking off roads because I was way back in there, or basically I'm going to have to either make the call to stay and try to hunt in those conditions that realistically wasn't prepared for. I mean, it's 90 when I get there and it goes into the 20s with 14 inches of snow uh, 48 hours later. Or you have to fold when you got to fold and get ready for the next hunt and save days to add on that one. And I'll be honest, when I was leaving that hunt, I got to scout two days, hunt three days. I had scheduled. 10 days of hunting I didn't even get to the halfway point and this all this this crap show took place 26 and a half hours from my unit to my driveway the longest 26 and a half hours that I have ever driven and probably will ever drive hopefully was that um having the weather and if you if you bow hunt long enough out west you're gonna have a time where the weather absolutely just, just kills you, and and you can't, you'll never beat Mother Nature. I mean, sooner or later, you're going to have a hunt where it just all falls apart due to weather, and you know what, at, at some point, you've got to be smart about it, and for me, the smart play was not to stay there and be bullheaded and just say, yep, I'm going to keep hunting even though there's no visibility, there's 14 inches of snow, I'm in the high country, all the deer are pushed down. Like, it was just smart for me to, okay, I'm going to have to cross this hunt out and, I can kind of sulk about it on my way home, but once I get home, I'm moving on to my Utah elk hunt. That's all I'm thinking about. And that's all we're going to worry about. But I can't tell you how bad I wanted to get to that elk hunt and create an opportunity because I did not get to draw my bow back in Colorado. I didn't get to get to the moment that we all are striving for. So I drive home. I got nine days to get ready to head to Utah to go to probably one of the – definitely the, the, the most pressured over-the-counter tag in Utah. I don't know if there would be any other tag that gets more pressure than that front. I mean, it's not like it's a secret about where I was at. I mean, I'm not going to try to you know hide. I was on the front. Um, I don't know if there would be a, another spot that, that gets more pressure than that place. But in my head, I was like, okay, I will do whatever it takes Whatever it takes to get an opportunity, to get in the moment. I wanted and craved that opportunity on a bull so bad. Those nine days in between me getting home and me jumping on a plane and heading to Utah, I, I can't tell you how much I craved getting to the moment where it all comes down to me and I've got to make a shot. I mean, I just absolutely craved that moment like I've never craved a moment in my life ever, and it was It was just one of those times where in my head it's like that's all I thought about for nine days was I didn't get an opportunity in Colorado, and that killed me because that's my favorite hunt of the year. Solo, Colorado, velvet, high country. I I mean, man, I just feel like I live for that. Had to forget that. Had to put that on the back burner. Had to completely erase that from my mind and move on to the next hunt. Come in with a positive attitude, and I came in with just a fire lit under me. Like I mean, just like hell wouldn't have it. I was gonna do anything, Brian, to get an opportunity. And 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 I talked to you on the phone middle of that hunt. I I remember talking to you, and I mean, man, I just I I was just you know, I was just absolutely drooling over getting an opportunity at that bull. And I remember you 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 said to me, Clint. Man, just stay after him, stay on it dude you're gonna you're gonna get your opportunity, man you're gonna get it and and i I'll, I'll never forget that because, oh man, I mean, I'm sure on the phone you could tell I wanted it bad, but oh man brother it it was I wanted that opportunity I wanted that fourth quarter shot so bad it it was it was unreal,
0: man i mean that's that's what it's about. It's like having that sick for it, you know you just want it so yeah. bad, oh, you yeah. know that yeah um, yeah. That, that you're gonna create it and and when we say do whatever possible, you know obviously that means it, everything yeah. legally you know like there's yeah, lines that you can't cross, but there's well, there's so much right. out there on public ground and there's so much effort that you can put forth, and just like we talked about earlier, like um you know we're capable of so much more than we ask, so it's it's day in day out to keep putting forth that maximum effort and trying to create that situation and And make it happen. That's exactly what you did. Like in a high pressure unit, you were able to arrow a heck of a six point bull. And I mean, uh, uh, those things are are so tough to work in on, you know, during the rut with all their cows. And then, um, you know, those bulls, you have to put such a precise shot on them, too. Uh, your shot has to be perfect there just isn't you know people say well they're a big target and and they're right elk are a big target and they do have bigger vitals they're 12 inch vitals but uh boy you don't hit those vitals you are in trouble on elk and even if you hit the edge of those vitals you may be in trouble so you're really trying to hit inside about an eight inch spot and that eight inch spot is on a giant mature bull elk you know that is not easy to do and um yeah, you pulled it off this year. Like um you you wanted it so sick for an opportunity and redemption after your Colorado hunt. And the deal is is these bow hunts, you know, when you're traveling all over the west to different units, to different places like you've hunted five different units in Colorado, you're never going to the same place, but you know, eventually You come up short on these, you know, there's, there's hunts every year that I come up short on that I put forth maximum effort and I don't end up filling that tag for whatever reason. Just, well, the, the reason is it's because it's so damn difficult, but, uh, but you know, there's going to be those hunts, but coming back with that fire and that redemption. And we talk about that mental side of things and I can see it, you know, you mentioned earlier, like it's in bow hunting and it's in life and there's so many things uh that correlate between those two, but I notice it in my running right now. Like I'm, you know, the the last couple weeks or whatever, I'm just struggling for that mental edge, um, when I'm running. I'm I'm ending up stopping more, I'm I'm ending up like I'm not pushing my pace as much. I'm not uh, 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 charging as many miles. And so for me, it's like almost like this self evaluation reset where I've got to find this motivation day in, day out. And you take off on a run and you, you want to run hard. Um, But but I just find myself now, and I think, you know, motivation is waning because season's getting over. You know, I've done my entire hunting season, and really that's my whole reason for running. Um, But But I'm just kind of losing that mental edge. But I realize that it's all mental. It's up to me whether or not I have the fire and have the passion. It's up to me whether I have that drive. And it's the same thing on a hunt. You're faced with these tough decisions of these – Tough climbs or tough mountains, tough stocks, uh, uh, not finding game, having to go—you're going to be faced with this, and it's like, uh, do you have that mental edge? And so, like right now, like I figure it's a blessing, it, you know, for me to go out and run and not have motivation and and not have that drive, and like I've got to find it. I've got and just like a. Like you mentioned Michael Jordan, like he had to create things in his own head. He would lie to himself about what people said and about what people talked about him or what people thought about him. Or he would just think somebody crossed him, and that fire inside him would give him that edge. He knew how to motivate himself, and I think it's the same thing with us bow hunters and the thing that – you know, that I'm doing right now, and I've done this throughout my life. 40 years old, I've been through a lot of hunting seasons, a lot of off seasons, ran thousands and thousands of miles. Like I've been here before, but it's, it's so present right now as I'm having this conversation with you about mental edge that that I, I think about running and not having it and stopping more. And so now it's just like it's having that fire and wanting it. It's like, um I had a great season, but 2021 I start off all zeros again. And those animals yep. you know, they don't know they don't know who I am. They don't know the animals that I've arrowed. Like every year I've got to go prove it again. And and there's more and more really good bow hunters out there that are doing all these small steps. So there's more pressure, which, you know, it, it makes it, it makes it tougher out there. So like it's, it, you know, I've just got to find that inner motivation. And, and to me, my inner dialogue just keeps telling me, man, it isn't going to be this easy. You know, it is, it, it, it isn't going to be this easy as finding this great bull and arrow in it next season. It isn't going to be this easy as filling every mule deer tag I had, you know, it isn't going to be this e- Like, man, you're going to have to work and you're going to have to find it again. You can't rest on your laurels. Got to stay hungry. Got to stay passionate. And it, you know, just as that applies to my training and getting ready for bow season and my excitement and things, I think that transposes directly to the hunt, like that, that fire and passion and drive. I think that's what you're describing, what you came into on that elk hunt.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know that that elk hunt. I mean, it was like I said, highly pressured. Um, oh, there were days where I was I was running into and and glassing and seeing nineteen, twenty, twenty one different guys with bugle tubes and running around with decoys and and bugling and, and and you know just all over. And I mean, it was it was one of those instances where. I had to take a step back and just say, okay, here's the deal. Like, Clint, you know there is a ton of pressure. You knew that coming into this. So now we've got to figure out where are the little pockets, where are the hidden gems. I was getting back to camp at 10 o'clock and getting up at 3, running ridge lines, trying to find bugles in the morning. Um, trying to get way ahead of herds, trying to get way ahead of hunters, and it was, it was a grind to find elk. Once I found elk, at that point, it was a different game. Um, calling and trying to, to play that game was not going to be the, the odds maker on this hunt. Um, everybody and their brother was running around with a bugle tube, running around with an elk reed, running around with a hoochie mama. These bulls are so pressured, and these bulls had already had such a good grasp on what was happening, how they were being hunted. I knew I was going to have to play a different game, and I knew that coming into this hunt. So my whole philosophy was to pretty much just continue to stay patient but continue to make aggressive moves, and once I found elk, stay with elk and basically try to coyote these herds and cut herds off and get in amongst elk and play the game and let them make the moves to get them killed because it was amazing. I would watch herds. The minute someone started bugling at them, that herd bull, and he might bugle back, but he was immediately rounding his harem up to take them away. And I I don't know how many times I watched this during the eight or nine days I was there on that hunt, but I learned very quick that a guy actually needed to, to use that to his advantage. I needed to play off of the pressure, and by, by playing off the pressure, what I mean is I needed to do what everyone else was not doing, and that was not blowing on calls, not trying the decoy thing basically finding elk getting in elk reading elk country reading elk sign and getting into elk and not letting them know that i was present and i know having having been on hunts with you and whatnot you absolutely love to play the the coyote the herd game and get into elk without them knowing you're there i mean i maybe I'm wrong, but I don't even know, you know, do you even carry calls anymore, Brian? I mean, mean, honestly, I mean, I don't, (laughs) I don't know if I've ever actually heard you or Dan. I've elk hunted with Dan. I don't think you guys even carry calls with you. I mean, that's how confident you guys are in the spot and stock coyote, the herd game. And on this hunt, I've had to fall on that a hundred percent. I mean, I had to absolutely do the polar opposite of what everybody else was doing, and that was not blowing on calls. That was basically finding bulls that would bugle, or if I did call, it was just to get a bull to sound off. And once that happened, I had to go all in right now. Fourth quarter, we got to go and get into the elk or cut them off and try to play that game. And I'll be honest with you, in my opinion, I think it is the best way – to kill an old herd bull in my opinion i think it is i i really think it's the best way to go get an old herd bull killed is to make hardly any sounds but make the moves to get into them and then let them finally make the final move to get themselves killed and 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 i i know you know you absolutely love and live to hunt elk like this
0: yeah, man. It's spot on. Yeah. You took a, a page out of my book or I took one out of your yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. It's that same <laughs> no, no, deal, dude. It's like, book. God dang it. Um, yeah, you, you made a bunch of good points there. Like, um, you know, it's why I love this endeavor that, that, um, that that you love as much as I do of bow hunting, because there's so many elements that go into it. There's so many facets that go into it. And I've thought about this a bunch. So, you know, we've talked about the mental side and being able to grind. And then we've talked about being able to execute physical fitness works into that. But, you know, none of that does any good. If you, if you can't theorize or come up with a good game plan or, you know, like our biggest asset as, as being human hunters is, is being able to theorize and outthink and outwit and outplay. And, and also, you know, you're trying to outwit and outplay the competition out there as well, you know. Yeah. And so, oh, yeah. Like yeah. I, I think, um, you <laughs> know, and I think about that as I think, you know, like I'm in, I'm in good shape and I hunt really hard and, and I really wear that feather in my cap. But there's a lot of other guys out there that are in just as good a shape, put, put forth just as much effort and hunt just as hard – and don't have the same success. So what's the difference maker? You know, like we talk about so many facets, being able to execute shots, being able to stalk on animals, but it's, also, a lot of my success and your success this year from your elk hunt, as it sounds, is like being able to theorize and think outside the box. Like, um, I know this non calling has has been picking up more momentum, and guys are actually yep. taking me serious when they when they hear about it. You know, be you know, partly because the proof is in the pudding. Like you say, the best yeah. way to kill one of those big old herd bulls is by stalking in. And so, you know, by you theorizing and and not just putting forth the effort, but being intelligent about it, thinking outside the box, and then like trying to get in front of these herds, like you stated, and trying to make moves on them in different places. Like, man, that's a big component or big key to success. And then just like you said, I love to get into these elk or coyote that herd. And the key to this, and, and you stated it a couple times, is getting in close but just not getting detected like you just have to. And I say it all the time, but take what these elk will give you. And what I mean by that is like, take what the, the elk herd is doing, where they're feeding at. You know, you don't move in and give yourself away. You don't stalk to failure. And you also use the topography to your favor to be able to get in close. And a lot of times on these elk, as I'm sure you experience, like I get held up at 100 yards or 150 yards. And sometimes. Like, I've got the whole herd in the herd bowl and I'm closing in, and he's in the perfect spot, and it's a satellite bull, and I get held up, and I have to stay motionless, you know, at 100 yards out, and just let this herd and the herd bull feed away from me, but you just continue to play that game, and try to keep that element of surprise, take what they give you, and it's amazing, you know, those bulls will put themselves in bad spots, or eventually, it just seems like you create an an opportunity or an encounter, so is, is that what happened on your elk hunt? Did you get close? and let things happen or were you able to stalk over a a rise or did you wait for him in the evening or how did that all go down clint
1: yeah so on the it would have been the the sixth day got into got into this this herd and this bull that ended up killing he had oh there was probably 25 to 30 cows with him and it was probably the best two hours of elk hunting action that, that i've ever experienced i mean you would have swore i was on the best limited entry elk tag in the country that morning i mean just if i didn't hear five six hundred bugles between the four bulls that were down in there um i didn't hear one i mean it was it was insane it was it was, it was insane it was nuts long story short i i cut this herd off I've got cows at, you know, 20 and 25 yards, and this bull's at 70. He's working his way up. He's the very, la- very last animal in the herd coming through. Um, everybody stops to feed, get back to full draw, and we're at 70 yards, and I'll be damned. It's almost like as if someone was blowing a little air horn in his, in his head telling him, keep moving. He jabs this cow and the whole herd starts moving again. They they go another five yards. Okay. I reset. I'm in my mind, I'm like, all right, you know, I, I need to readjust here on what I'm doing. He's at about seventy-five. Okay, we're gonna kill him there. I'm comfortable, everything's good. He would not stop. He jabs the cow again. So that that's how my morning goes. And and I, I played with this herd and I'm thinking Gosh, you know, that, that was such a good opportunity. I mean, I, I I'm at full draw twice. I'm so close. You know, I've, I've got this I got this opportunity at this great herd bull you know, and, and, and it slips right through my fingers. I don't get to release an arrow. And that that was actually the day that I I talked to you and um um oh man I was just devastated, but I'm thinking, okay, you know, I, I, I kinda watched what happened and that morning there was another hunter. And it started bugling, and the minute that took place, that bull started rounding his cows up and heading back up this big draw to get up in this dark timber. So the next morning, my buddy was able to meet me on the mountain. He was going to hunt with me, my good buddy Jason, and right, right away we hear this bull. He had this very distinct bugle, super deep, raspy. I said, that's him. Jason's like, oh, man, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're listening to him. He's like, what do you think? I said, I know the play. I know what this bull's going to do. I'm like, the minute somebody starts bugling or something happens, this bull's going to take off with his harem and go up into this dark timber. He's going to start working that direction. I'm like, that, that's, that's just what's going to happen. So in my mind, I thought, okay, I need to go ahead and just – cut this herd off right right now i need to just just take off lose about 1500 feet of elevation drop down in this big canyon and and start trying to cut them off there was water at the very bottom and what they were doing is they were circling around making a big loop basically all day they'd end up watering in the morning and then they were working back up into this dark timber and uh so that you know that the play was pretty much just to cut this herd off well he kept bugling and, and he would bugle some, and then there'd be five or six minutes where he would not bugle. And I, I told my buddy, I said, if, if he's not bugling, I said, I can't hear him. I said, he's going to take that herd and, and, and get out of there. I said, because that's just what these pressured bulls were doing. I said, every now, now and again, bugle. And I said, he'll answer you back, but I know he's going to be working away from you. So what I did was I used basically what i had been given the last couple days and i learned that this bull would bugle at other hunters but he was going to round that harem up the whole time and take them the exact opposite direction well i watched him and got into him the day before and i knew the dark timber that this bull wanted to go to so i start cutting the herd off he's bugling a couple times my buddy jason bugles the bull bugles back so i i always could I was able to constantly kind of know where he was at. Now I didn't know where the 34, or 35 cows and the couple satellites were, but I was able to figure out where he was at always and that helped me kept the wind in my face. I start working down in this canyon. Well, it gets to the point where all these cows are filtering past me, 41 yards, 42 yards and I'm thinking this is great. I got the wind in my face. You know, right now thermals, everything's good. Here he comes, he's, the, he's in the very back, and lo and behold, we get to about 20 yards from where I need him to be, and a cow and a calf shoot down the hill, and my heart just sinks. I'm like, no, 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 you know, don't, don't, don't do that. He takes off, he rips off a bugle, runs down, and I, I know he's going to hurt him back up. Well, now in my mind, I'm scrambling, I'm getting my rangefinder, and I'm thinking, okay, start looking for holes. I find this hole between between two trees, 71 yards. This cow and calf goes through that hole. I'm back at full draw. I'm waiting on him. He gets right to that hole, and, and, and there's about a six, seven-foot gap there. He gets right to there, and I'm thinking I'm going to have to whistle at him or yell or whatever. He stops, and he's just kind of scanning. And in my head now I'm thinking, okay, 71 yards, you know, here, here we are. You've, you've made all the right moves. You've got to this moment. Here's the, it's all you got to do now is bury this pin and watch your arrow sink into him. And, and man, I don't know if I've ever had a shot break that good, where I absolutely just, the second that that shot broke, it's like, I, I 100% just knew that that bull was smoked and absolutely 12 ring them. He runs off 40 yards and piles up. I mean, it just sounds like a freaking helicopter lands in the timber. Um, but just one of those moments, you know, we're on day, that was day seven or day eight of, of just grinding and and persevering through this hunt and, and taking what I was given and learning as I was going. And even though the day before that, when I talked to you, you know, I was so close and had those two opportunities at full draw and it just didn't work out. But I kept in the game and I, I, and I used what I learned to my advantage and figured out kind of what I needed to do and, and learned that bulls characteristics of kind of what he was doing and how he was reacting to pressure. And that's honestly what got him killed is I knew he would round that herd up. The minute other people started viewing at him, I and mean, I I knew where he was going to go from previous knowledge and, and just paying attention to all the details and, Oh man, it just—it never felt so good to 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 make a shot like that and just watch that bull die. Super old bull, you know, probably eight nine year old bull on on just a super pressured unit, and and to have all the cows and and just to come out of there with a herd bull on your back like that. I mean, it was just the greatest feeling ever. Because I know how tough that hunt is, and the percentage to kill a, a a mature bull like that on a unit in a unit like that is just so low. And just to have the opportunity and be able to make the plays and and, and be able to kind of diagnose what I needed to do to get this bull killed and and think outside the box is honestly what allowed me to get back on him and get him killed was to, to realistically just take what I was given and learn from what I was watching and really dissect what this bull was doing and what he wanted to do and then cut him off you know if i would have bugled or i would have made a peep that bull would have immediately changed what he was going to do because of all the pressure he was you know he was getting hunted so hard and getting called to so much the play was to absolutely use the other guys to your advantage listen to what he's doing and stay ahead of him and cut him off and kill him the play was not going to be to try to call that bull in because there was no way you were going to call that herd bull in. Absolutely, there you were not going to call him in. No way. He had already figured that game out, and he did not like it.
0: <laughs> Man, I, that's totally it. Those Those bulls just get old enough. They just... I just know better and and not that you can't call that bull in but you right. you have to catch him in the right mood and he might yeah. only be yeah. in that right mood for for maybe yeah. a a day or two a season if yeah. even that yep. you know and so like yep. if yep. you don't catch him within those couple days where he's really respawning back or really hot like like you say you're just not going to kill that bull but but yeah, yeah man i i think you're spot on and i you know we talked a lot about like like wanting it really bad and being sick for it and wanting that redemption. It's, it's weird because bow hunting's like this fine line too, because it can almost be if you want it too bad or too much, you, you end up, or what I end up doing is I, I want it too bad that I'm not patient enough to wait for the right opportunity. And I, I made these mistakes like young in my hunting career, but, but it was like where I wouldn't wait for that right angle or I wouldn't let the situation develop or I would take a longer shot before I got a closer shot. It seems like as I start, you know, as I get older and I start getting more proficient, it, it just seems like I want it so bad and I want to be successful and I'm willing to grind and do whatever it takes. And I want the ball at the end of the game but you also have to be okay with that animal getting away right then and there. And it's like if, yep. I, if I'm – so it's like this fine line between patience and aggressiveness. And, and it's, it's really about like once you get in close, really waiting for that right angle to put that perfect arrow in there, not forcing a bad angle, not forcing a, a moving shot. There's nothing worse than when you come to full draw on an animal and he starts to move. Like, and I've made that mistake before where he starts to move and I try to punch my trigger off, you know, which is the worst thing you, I did it this year on that great big buck. I missed at 20 yards, you know? So, I mean, it, it, I, you know, I'm, it, it's not like it can't happen to me as well, but I I just, I think that's important to talk about like, um, letting those situations develop and playing it patient and you want it really bad and you'll do anything to create it. I'll do anything to create it except for force a bad arrow, except for force a shot that isn't right and it just seems like the longer I play that game or the longer I wait or I stay with that bowl, and you know sometimes I've got that you know gosh I'm trying to think I was watching um oh I was watching a a video uh uh I, I met up with my buddy Dylan Ness, and we were watching this video together and Uh, I was on there talking about a buck that I was, um, hunting and the buck came by me at 50 yards and I didn't get a shot. You know, that's the key is sometimes you have to hold off and he doesn't give you the right shot or the right angle. Like I said it this year, the whole time you're bow hunting, you're always thinking, God, if I could just get into range and... Uh, if I could get into range of an animal, I'd kill them. It's not always a given. Getting into range is one thing. Getting a shot with a good angle on that animal is a totally different thing, especially like hunting these muleys during the rut where they're constantly moving after does or like your situation with those elk. Like those bulls are constantly moving those cows and moving around the herd and sometimes they come through a lane and they don't stop and – um so so I, I just think that's a an important detail is, is to want it bad but but not want it bad enough to force it or to let that situation develop where you really get a good angle and a good shot because um you know there's nothing worse than making a bad shot or a miss. God that just crushes me, you know, and so I'd rather not shoot and keep playing the game and get a better opportunity. It's, And it's amazing. Those those bulls and those bucks will put themselves in bad situations if you just keep that element of surprise and you wait for that right angle. And now obviously on your bull, that window you had through there, you had played the game a long time with them. You said two hours of the craziest rut action you had ever seen. Yeah. And and that's wild is that I always feel like that's magical when you can create that kind of elk rut action or mule deer action. It's, it's like something that you can't buy you know I mean I guess you could you know buy a hunt off a, a loaded private ranch or something of that case but you you can't buy those experiences they have to be created they have to be earned and so when I get into them and I'm into to it uh epic rut uh, late season rut action or when I'm into the those bulls and they're screaming and chasing those cows around man that's magic that's the thrill that's the the price of admission, even more so for me than bending the limbs back, like being in that epic action and getting that, those doses of adrenaline and having to make moves. And, um, and it, and it seems like you're in this constant state uh, of adaptation when you're stalking, like you, you're constantly having to adapt to the scenario at which you're given. Uh, they're never the same, uh, animals are never in the same spot. And so every stock is different, but you have to rely upon those skills and that confidence that you can make the right move. But you make a thousand of these micro decisions during the stock to move in closer, to stop at this tree, to to keep pushing in, to hold back and back out, see if you can glass them for evening. There's like the thousand of these micro decisions that are made. And I just love being in that and making those micro decisions and making moves and getting the excitement and the adrenaline. Man, I I really think that's what it's all about. And, and same this year. Man, I got in some, some epic action, whether it was bulls or early season bucks or late season bucks. And, and for me, that's just what it's all about, that that excitement, that thrill, and that opportunity to make something happen, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And, mean, and was, you <laughs> did
0: you did the same thing like uh so you killed that good bull and then you kept on a good run. You went out, um, came home, brought your bull back, and then you had a late season mule deer hunt. And and so in a lot of ways that elk hunt was the redemption to your Colorado mule deer hunt. But yeah. but also I'd say that you know your late season mule deer hunt was a big part of your redemption. Is now trying to get one mule deer for the season, one really good mature buck, and and fell short on the early season, and so uh, then you got ready and and you've been hunting the rut the last couple of years, and so uh, talk about that hunt you went on for that mule is a great one too, by the way, Clint. Congratulations, man! It's such a nice buck. Oh,
1: thanks, man. Yeah, I was just just big, heavy, tall, you know, just not super wide, but just, just had, had everything, but, but I guess you could say, uh, super wide, but everything else was there, you know, big forks and solid fronts and just good mass and, and had like two inch brows. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just so stoked to get on that buck, but yeah, it was, it was cool. Cause that was my last buck tag, you know, I, I had, um, had the, you know, ha- had the Colorado deal go bad and, and then, Killed that good bull, and then shot eight days later. Killed you know really really good buck, my my main target buck here in Ohio, um, and then yeah, so it's coming down to middle of November, and I'm gonna go hunt the mule deer rut. And I've just absolutely fallen in love with running ridge lines and glass and and chasing these bucks around when they're rutting. I mean I I grew up a whitetail guy and lived for November, and the last few years I've left the Ohio rut in the absolute best time frame to go chase mule deer. And people are like, you're nuts. How could you do that? And I'm like, you just don't understand how fun it is to go chase these rotten mule deer bucks as they're starting to work down the mountains and, and get lower in, on elevation and chasing these does. I mean, it's just, it's just so fun and hooked up with my, um, one of my best friends, Devin Leonard and, and was able to go out and hunt the extended unit out there in Utah, Um, and, you know, there's a ton of snow, you know, there's two foot of snow, it's freezing cold whenever I get there, and I'm coming from Ohio, where at the time, we had a heat wave, it was like 70 when I left, I get to Utah, it's in the teens, and all this snow, and I mean, all the first few days, I mean, just a grind, I mean, just getting around um, is insane, I mean, but I just loved every second, you know, I'm walking around in snow that's, you know up past my kneecaps almost to like my mid thigh and it's cold and the wind. but these bucks are just getting it and, and it was it was so much fun um, just to hunt in that extreme element and, and, and be able to 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 know, okay, you know we gotta grind it out and it's cold and it's, it's you got the snow, but these bucks were just I mean oh, they were so hot. Run and dozed and I mean, we, we just got into such good deer action. And um, we find this buck, Devin actually glasses this buck, and uh, he's working this ridge, drops down into this bottom, and he's heading up for this saddle, and up and over this saddle, um, you know, he can go left, he can go right, and and I'm thinking, okay, man, I'm going to hoof it, and I'm going to jump up over this ridge line and start glassing, and hopefully – when they cross up over this saddle, they head to the right and sure as crap, I get up over there and and here's these three does and here he is coming up behind them. And I'm probably a quarter mile ahead of them. Um, but they're working down. So I got to bomb off this top and, and just take off and try to cut them off. You know, I'm, I'm dropping, I don't know, you know, probably 1500 feet, just bombing off this top. It's, it's getting towards dark. And, uh, Devin was going to, was going to come up there with me. He was going to end up meeting me up there and and kind of try to glass for me just to see what was going to happen. And he got, he got there just at the tail end, but um, I I end up cutting this, this buck and these does off. And I get within about what I think is going to be within 70 yards of kind of this little draw that they're working through. And I just stop and, you know, over the years, I've heard you make this statement, and and I mean the success is there. I mean, you know, the proof's in the pudding. Get to a spot and let a buck or a bull work into you. Let him make the final mistake. Let you know. Let him get himself killed. And that was present in this. Um, I got to a spot where I was able to get kind of behind some cover but I was going to be able to get the full draw and make some shots. And I'm, I'm, I'm glassing and I'm, I'm ranging windows, you know, and these, these deer are filtering towards me, filtering towards me. And I had some shots at this buck, but they weren't good at angles. And we've previously talked about that in this podcast. You know, you, you – as a bow hunter, it's your opportunity and your obligation to make and take ethical shots. Now, we all make a bad shot. We all make shots that – are good angles but we just don't make it actually a good shot We, we we punch the trigger we don't settle you know whatever but it's our obligation to do everything we can to try to put a perfect arrow into an animal on the right angle and and make everything work together as best as we can so I had some I had some angles on this buck where he was, you know, 40, 50 yards, but he was facing me or facing directly away. And these, these, these does kept wanting to feed and he kept pushing them. For whatever reason, he wanted to get them out of this canyon as quick as he could. And it was one of those moments where I had to really pick and choose my battles because I thought about trying to. to, to you know, back out a little bit and get out around them again. Cause I was starting to think, man, it's just not going to happen in here. I mean, they, they're just not getting to spots where I can get them killed. And I had kind of a, had kind of a backdoor exit, you know, once they got below me, I could have backed out and actually ran the ridge and, and, and there was a flat up there, got on this little flat where they wouldn't have been able to see me and, and run that out again and get out ahead of them. But I'm, I'm running out of daylight and you know how it is with these riding bucks they're here today, gone tomorrow. Who knows where he's at tomorrow? So I'm like, all right, no, we're going to stay here and be patient. And lo and behold, he ends up getting to a spot at 61 yards, and he's quartering away from me. A doe ends up trying to bed down right there, and he's not having it. So he gets her up. He takes her another you know, another 10 yards, and, and they, they stop, and they're kind of checking things out, just kind of figuring. The does are kind of – figuring out what they want to do, and he stops behind him And like I said, we're at 61, and he's quartering away from me. Not super steep, just kind of about where you'd want to get back to full draw, and I put my pin on about what would be like maybe the second-to-last rib, and I'm thinking about my exit. You know, at this angle, my exit's going to be like tucked right in, you know, probably just a smidge behind that opposing shoulder. So I'm going to blow through liver and probably both lungs, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be perfect. And just absolutely execute, you know, just, just a, a perfect shot. Watching mule kick, watching takeoff, bury my arrow, clear to the fletching. Um, just just knew right away, you know, this this buck smoked. And, you know, it was one of those moments, though, where had I made a super aggressive move and took off and backed out and tried to cut him off again, who knows what happens. But I stayed with the plan of, okay, we're going to let this buck continue to make plays and continue to kind of feed around with these does and and keep nudging them. And we're just going to see what happens. And by staying patient and kind of sticking with the original plan, honestly, that's what got that buck killed. Um, There was a part of me and there was a time where I thought, man, I need to make a super aggressive play. I'm running out of light. I'm running out of opportunities here. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I stayed in it and stayed with it. And man, just couldn't be more happy that I made that decision to kind of stick with the original plan that I had there. And lo and behold, I, like I said, I got that opportunity at 61, but oh man, I mean, and I'm sure you'll agree with me. I just, I don't know if it really gets any better than chasing those rutted up old gray ghosts um, in November with your bow. I mean, that is just some of the most fun epic bow hunting that I think you can really do is, is hunting mule deer in the rut. I mean, that that's, It's just absolutely my favorite hunting right now to do is is bow hunting those bucks when they're rutting like that. I mean, it it is just a magical time to be up on a mountain somewhere. I, I really just don't know if it gets any better.
0: Man, it is just action. Yeah, hunting hunting any of these species during the rut is um, it, is a unique experience. And yeah, you're you're right. Like uh, they, there's there's not a whole lot of bow hunting opportunities during the rut, or at least there's not as many opportunities as there is in the early season. But it's something that everybody should take advantage of at least once in their life. Uh, it is just so thrilling. Uh, it's so much action, and those bucks they let their guard down for a little bit and but yep. you still have to beat all the does like you if you if the gigs up with the does, yep. they're going to take that buck with them. And even those bucks, oh, yeah. um, you know, during the rut, you know, they uh, they see a human figure. They can leave those does in a hurry and get out of there. They don't want to get shot Absolutely. either. But, um, yep. yeah, man, I'm with you. I've had some of my best action in the late season chasing those those bucks. I. You know, they're susceptible in the early season when their bachelor herded up, and then they're susceptible in that late season during the rut. And uh, I'm with you. I've had some smiles ear to ear and just some great action on on, uh, (laughs) big dark horn bucks. So, yeah, man, I love it like you do.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, you know, it it is. It's just something that you absolutely just grow sick for it for, and it's like, you know, it, it just... I get goosebumps, and I got a big old smile right now just talking about it because you know when you when you get to run an arrow through a, through a big old heavy dark buck like that, and you walk up and you get to put your hands on that, and it's like you know you just you know in your head how many seasons that bucks went through and and, and all the arrows he's dodged and the hunters he's outsmarted, and then to kill him in that that late hunt during the rut during a time when it's just such a magical time to be out there. I mean, I. I just don't know for a guy like me if it really gets any better. I mean, it, it's the perfect combination of adventure and action, and and just you know being able to use your skill sets to your advantage. And and you glass and you hike and you, you've got to strap your pack on tight and hurry up and take off and run a ridge line and, and jump down over and try to cut the, a buck in these does off, or or maybe it's a buck by himself and he's just out cruising, and you've just got to absolutely give every ounce that you've got to try to cut this buck off i mean you're you're sprinting on the backside of a hill trying to get to the other side you know to hurry up and cut him off. i mean it's for me and and i and i'm going to speak for you cuz i i know you're just as 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 eaten up with it as i am you know probably even more um gosh dang i i just don't know if it really gets is any better than that i mean obviously screaming bulls in the timber in september is pretty dang on fun too there's no doubt but Oh, man, there's just something about those daggone mule deer. They've just taken me by storm the last five or six years. And it's like, gosh, I just, I absolutely just can't get enough of hunting those suckers. I mean, they they just take you to some of the most amazing places and they just put you in scenarios where I stop and I just look around and I'm like, I can't believe I'm even here right now. But hunting those bucks will take you to those moments. And it's so special for me living in Ohio to be able to see those places that mule deer hunting will take me. And I, I honestly think that's what I love so much about it is it's just, if it wasn't for hunting mule deer bucks, I would not be in these places. And, and, and I wouldn't be experiencing some of this. And, oh, man, it, it, it just absolutely eats a guy up. I mean, I, like I said, I just can't, if I was only able to, if, if, if I was told, okay, you can bow hunt one species forever, that's it. You've got one animal to chase for the rest of your life. Gosh dang, Brian! It's mule deer heads down. I mean, I just I just can't get enough of of hunting those suckers. No matter what season, what time, or how we're doing it. If I've got a bow and a buck tag for mule deer, man, I'm a I'm a happy guy. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I'm just glad I don't have to pick between species. I like hunting them oh, all, but, yeah, yeah no I'm doubt. I'm with no you doubt. there, man. You no know doubt. how I love to hunt mule deer, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, they're, yeah they're, they're so much fun, like um, the places they live. You talk about that, the adventures you go on, and just some they're just iconic to the West. But I, definitely that late season seems like more uh, – it's, it's more of a specialized tactic. Like the early season yeah. stuff – is more methodical, planned out, slow plays. And it seems like the late season stuff, it's it's hunting them more aggressive because that buck, he could be 10 miles from that spot the next day. And so you hunt them more aggressive. You hunt them on their feet. You'll also hunt them in their bed, too, if they bed down. And it it again, it comes down to making those decisions. They're not always black and white. They're really gray of when to close and when to go in on this muley. But I just find that it's real aggressive hunting and it actually reminds me of hunting elk is hunting mule deer during the rut. Um, but, but I, um, man, I, I love the Western hunting game and I love making plays and I love hunting aggressively. So like that late season rut hunt for those mule deer seems like it's really well suited for me. I have a lot of fun. It seems like it's a really good fit. Uh, but yeah, with you, man. I I love all these adventures out west, and um, oh, yeah. it, it's so crazy cool that you take advantage of them from Ohio and that you've caught in the bug. And now, you know, with with um, uh, tens of, of western hunts under your belt and multiple ones uh, being successful, and especially the last couple years where you know you put together that consistent success and on really good critters that that mule deer with those big tall back forks that you killed, that good six point bowl uh putting some good critters on the deck so I'm just so impressed it's just so fun to get you on the podcast and um talk theories and and talk over the mental side visualizations want the ball in the fourth quarter like like this is all just stuff that I eat up so yeah I just can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing Clint I, rep- I really appreciate you
1: Oh, hey, man, can't uh, can't thank you enough, you know, from from the friendship standpoint and having me on the podcast and just the amount of stuff I've learned from, from hunting with you and being your buddy and talking to you, you know, uh, quite often. And then, you know, this podcast, the guests that come on here and just the amount of knowledge and, and just the tactics and, and the things that are discussed, you know, on the, each and every one of these episodes, I mean, if, if you're... If you're eaten up by the Western bow hunting bug or the Western hunting bug, uh, it, and you're not listening to this podcast, I mean, it, it's you're, you're just truly missing out because there's just absolute so many knowledge bombs getting dropped, um, and just so many guys, successful guys, that are getting it done, and and they've all got a specialized tactic or, or they've all got. Um, you know, something that, that they're, they're, they're known for. And then they come on this podcast and you're able to kind of see all the common themes and, and put together, you know, kind of your own little tidbits from each guest and from each episode. And, and it's just, it's awesome, man. I just, I can't thank you enough for having me on and letting me be a part of, you know, what, what you and what Eastman's have going on with this podcast. I, I just absolutely love coming on and, and sharing a little bit of my success and being able to, to talk bow hunting with you, man. I, I feel like we can talk for, five or six hours. And like I said, I've been able to share camps with you and talk to you quite often, you know, um, outside of the podcast. And it's like, you know, guys like us could talk for days about bow hunting, but it sure is fun to hit the record button for an hour and a half and bounce back and forth on different things. Uh, man, just, just gets me fired up, uh, already thinking about 2021 and, 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 you know, where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. And, won't be long and it'll be application season so it's like man that's all right around the corner it's it's, it's fun to just get pumped up for an hour and a half and, and and talk to a good buddy and yeah man just just can't can't thank you enough uh definitely appreciate uh appreciate all you've done for me and and i really appreciate you having me on
0: yeah, well, it goes both ways. So, yeah, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. So, yeah, well, uh, let's wrap this thing up, and um won't be too long. We'll be putting in for tags uh, here, there, and everywhere, and, and uh, hopefully get a few and be going on some Western hunts. So, yep, thanks again, Clint. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Talk soon, Brian. Appreciate it.
0: All right, guys, that's a wrap. Yeah, fun conversation with Clint. I've actually implemented um, – we talked in the podcast about visualizations, and I've practiced visualizations before and even talked about them. Um, like I'll picture executing the the shot. Um, I've been doing this more and more. So uh, I've actually been doing what, what Clint said uh, about visualizing the whole stock or making the moves, getting the range. And I can almost like uh, dream up these scenarios in my head and play them out um, and, and then play out the shot. And I've been trying to do this every day. I actually play out my visualizations um with a a string trainer so basically i i have like a a 550 cord or whatever it is and i i just tie it in a loop to where it's the exact size of my draw length and so you know on my left hand that holds the bow i hold the string kind of like right on the line where my handle would go in between my thumb and my fingers and then hook my release to the string And so then I have my eyes closed and walk myself through this encounter, through this shot, and then, you know, try to go through, you know, my shooting process uh, of anchoring, which is like lining up my peep sight and my sight, and then leveling, putting my pin where I want it on the animal, and executing a good shot. And uh, I've been doing this day in, day out, and and I do think it's helping. I think he's on to something there. So, uh, I definitely implemented that from the podcast, but I always enjoy talking to Clint. He's, he's just got so much enthusiasm for Western bow hunting. Uh, the guy absolutely loves it and he puts everything into it too. Uh, like I say, he's all in on these hunts. He's all in on his training. Um, so just a great guy to have on the podcast. So, uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And, um want to thank our sponsor for today's show. Again, uh, Clinton is shooting these as well. The, the Matthews bow. I am in love with this new V three. Um, this thing is a forgiving shooting bow, uh, holds a tune, durable. And, and like I say, I just harvested my first big game animal with it. That hunt down in the desert, man, I had an absolute blast down there. Um, it's wild. It's like this, this species that I'm so familiar with. And I've harvested desert bucks, you know, I, I, uh, harvested desert bucks in you know this year that filmed hunt uh, I was telling you guys about on the Beyond the Grid that's out now that open country buck you know that's desert habitat i mean heck the the first buck i harvested you know in in Nevada this year you know that's desert country but there's something different about that that southern that southern desert like the southern united states deserts you know they they just drier and just more cactus. And, um, you know, it's again, it's a new habitat to hunt and try to figure out. And so I've, I've really enjoyed like learning this new habitat. And so I'll, I'll do a podcast about it. Well, I'll do a solo and tell you guys about the hunt, but it's just a great adventure. And then, you know, able to, to, to figure out these places with lower populations of deer and be effective in it. And, And I think that's, So important for me moving forward, you know, wanting to harvest these big deer is, is being able to hunt these lower populations effectively, uh, to be able to locate and keep into bucks and, and figure out where they're at. So anyways, I just, um, so psyched at this last hunt, man, it's, it's just so fun. Uh, so many days of cutting these legs loose and trying to figure out deer and making plays, making stocks, had my good buddy, Dan Heverin with me. Um, we just had an absolute blast, so um, yeah, I can't wait. I'll I'll sit down and record that here uh, in the next couple days, and and we'll release that to you guys as a bonus episode. So, uh, thanks to you guys for all the support, all the support over there at Eastman's uh, with the magazines, uh, the Beyond the Grid, and then also the TV show on the Outdoor Channel. Um, man, it's it's just a, a fun endeavor being able to do this podcast and have these in depth conversations, and then. You know, being able to, to to film a hunt and share it with you guys—it's just amazing. Uh, you know, twenty-year-old me couldn't have dreamt up the life that I get to live. So uh, I'm pretty fortunate for sure. So I really appreciate you guys and appreciate all the support. And um, yeah, I just want to support you guys and and help make you better, give you the right information to to be able to be. Uh, effective and efficient you know on our public lands and on these adventures that are available to all of us Uh, it's so fulfilling it's uh, so much fun it's um it is it's just crazy you know to to us average blue collar guys that we get to go out in the most remote wildest country the west has to offer and go challenge ourselves and and have an adventure so i just absolutely love it as you guys can tell i'm 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 uh kind of uh, reliving a, a hunt, just getting back, uh, I, I'm, um, man, it, it's just so much fun. I just, um, I really enjoy it. Uh, so yeah, I just want you guys to have the same joy in your life, which I know you guys do. I know you guys are planning your hunts for 2021. Uh, it's going to be a good year with a bunch of adventure in it. So uh, thanks a bunch, you guys. I appreciate you. We'll check into you next week. Check into you next week. We'll check in with you next week is what we'll do. So Talk to you soon.